0: Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Something Pretty Podcast. My name is Wes, and I'm joined by the man who could knock a buzzard off a shit wagon. It's Clay. Clay, how are you?
1: I'm good. I was uh, just waiting for the preliminary signal that you were going to show your ass.
0: (laughs) Well, here it is. Get ready, everyone. The video (laughs) podcast version of this one has me freely showing my ass to everybody who will take (laughs) advantage of it. A lot of ass showing in in this episode. A lot of people exposing... The top, the bottom, and the whole thing. How are you? Good?
1: Yeah. Yeah, good. Getting into the uh, third season of Deadwood here, rounding out my Batman comic. Things are, things are going pretty well. That's good. Are you the fine man that I should take you for, or are you somebody else? Are you the drunk uh, on the top of, the,
0: on the, top of the, yeah. uh, the platform, or are you somebody else that was more respectful?
1: Uh, I'm just one of the shit kickers in the background. Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I'm the guy I'm the guy two. about to
1: I'm the guy about to walk into the gym after two people have been murdered before <laughs> Charlie stops me. <laughs> you don't
0: want to go in there, partner. This is I am not the fine man you take me for. We're gonna play a little bit of music, get that branding of the podcast out there, and then we'll come back and we'll break it down. You're
2: listening to a podcast that is a lie agreed upon. Join Wes and Clay as they discuss HBO's Deadwood and tell you something pretty.
0: I am not the fine man you take me for. It's the second episode of the third season of Deadwood, directed by Dan Ateas. I believe this how I say it. Written by David Milch and Regina Corrado. In this one, I am not the fine man you take me for. A drunk mounts the hustings in the thoroughfare to lament his luck in Deadwood. Cochran advises Alma that she needs intervention with her pregnancy. Hearst's man, Captain Turner, delivers a diagram to Swearingen. Johnny, Dan, and Swearingen puzzle out the drawing. It might represent the gem. Two miners order drinks in the gem. Swearingen, seeing a trap, slices one's throat. Dan kills the other. Alma prepares her affairs, naming Sophia her inheritor. Jane tells the schoolchildren of scouting for Custer. Johnny and Dan resume their interpretation of the paper, believing it predicted the scene in the gem. Hearst invites Swearingen to watch the speeches together. Trixie assists Cochran in Alma's abortion. pharma and Star make their speeches, followed by Harry Manning and Bullock. In Hearst's room, Turner holds Swearingen down. Hearst chops off his middle finger with a hatchet. So here we are with this one. Second episode of Deadwood. Do you have, do you have any uh, thoughts about how this season's different than the one we just got done with, the second season? Or how it compares to the first season, <clears> even? Um, talked about this a little bit in the first one, mostly focusing on, like, how it looked. But I'm wondering if you're sensing anything different in this one.
3: Do you believe the speeches will be delivered tonight?
0: The speeches,
3: the
2: elections, are hostage to the business of the camp, which is bloody, murderous.
3: And, you know, I don't like this tea. Too cool? It's too weak. I do not make weak tea. I oughtn't to tease. (sighs) I like mine unusually strong.
0: You might have said, Seth, it's an easy thing to fix. You're right. I'm not a mind reader.
3: I've said it now. My goodness.
1: Well, it does continue to to feel a little bit more like the first season in that it's, I feel like they've, they've kind of dialed the violence back up a bit.
0: Yeah. Um, it's More active, you know, I, I feel like yeah, it's, uh, it's the violence is kind of active. An, an active out, outcome or the violence is an outcome of becoming more active with your plots. I think,
1: yeah. You know, I think I know we're only three episodes in, but, um, two, uh, so two, oh, Jesus. Yeah. Okay. Two episodes in, um, but I, I'm i not quite sure. I feel like, strangely enough, season two was really focused in where it was going. Yep. Um, and this one, I'm not totally sure if it has that focus yet. Okay. Because um, it has a lot of disparate elements, story elements, um, and they have the centralized thing of Hearst, but... uh. I don't know. I mean it's it's too it's too early to really tell. Yeah, they're, yeah, they're still
0: uh, they're still building because I guess by this time in the second season we just finished up the two parter, which was not uh, you know super. It, it wasn't super insightful into where the second season went by that right, point. Right. So it is it is kind of a, a slow burn to get anywhere. But yeah, I would agree that um, I think it's it, I think the third season so far does feel a little bit more. Uh, sort of scattered in what it's doing. I feel like the, the characters kind of all off in their own, uh, their own universes in a lot of ways. And some of them don't interact with each other, uh, the way that they used to in the second season. And I think that Mm -hmm. the, um, uh, Silas has a quote in this episode about like, I feel like I've been shunted to the side uh, because he's off doing (laughs) the, like the business with star. And it kind of feels that way with some of the characters, I think who, I, I don't know if that's Milch being meta about, um, some of the characters that he can't keep around and, uh, like, how many characters there are, and whether or not he can service all of them. But it is where we stand. Yeah,
1: I I don't know how many more episodes they can they can get out of. Uh, Joni just looking kind of distraught. Yep. You know. Yep. Um. It that seems to be the only thing that she's she's doing at the moment, and uh, I don't I don't know how long they can do that without doing something interesting with her.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So this is I am not the fine man you take me for, which is I like um, I like this one just because this is a great example, I think, of the show balancing the serious and the the silly at the same mm. time.
1: I think this is a, an extremely funny
0: episode. There's there's like this, a lot
1: of jokes in it. This has my I think maybe my hands down favorite scene of the this, this series so can, far. Can, can, I, can I guess what it is? Please do. Which will... Possibly
0: uh, being insightful into mine, but I, I always die with laughter when Cochrane and Trixie are trying to perform the abortion and they start screaming at that's, each
1: other. <laughs> that's very good.
3: <laughs> Turn your head away from the cloth and breathe.
2: Shut the fuck up and concentrate.
3: Turn your head away, God. Damn it. What I'm used to? This is like smelling fucking posies. I would just assume that you not fucking pass out. When you're done with hers, Doc, why don't you fucking kiss mine?
0: <laughs> he's, he's, he's like, I don't need you fucking passing out. <laughs> 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 Elsewhere is like outside on the porch listening to them yell at each other.
1: Especially because the thing that directly precedes that is is him saying you're ready to do exactly what I tell you and she's like oh yeah absolutely and the first thing he tells him <laughs> to do she doesn't do it
0: i even like the way it ends where they they both stop yelling and they get down to business and like doc Cochran is like very focused on the uh, the procedure that's in front of him. but that, mm-hmm. that um I, I think Dorf has a great yelling voice he's like a he great does. a great yeller yeah. actor uh, and that, that's very funny was that yours or were you thinking of something else
1: no it's um it's when Andy Andy Crane goes in to see Psy, and Psy starts doing this whole uh, bullshit, I've seen the light revival thing while waving a gun in his face. Yes, yeah. And it's clearly something he had planned to do, and then people <laughs> just keep coming in and fucking botching, up. Botching their entrances,
3: <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: And eventually that's it, what's so funny about it is that the, the botching of the stuff almost convinces him that he's not going to kill him because it's so fucked up that he can't actually right. kill Andy Right, right. It's like,
1: uh, it's not even worth it <laughs> at this point. But it's just like, because it's, it's such a great sigh. Like, it's a great sigh performance there uh, on two levels. It's a it's a great Powers Booth performance, but it's a great sigh performance as well. Yeah. Um, it's kind of in the vein of uh, when he was... Uh, drinking the champagne and sending the whores on their way uh, yes. to go with Joni. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> um, but it's just the, the way the way that they keep coming in and keep screwing it up, and then eventually he's just kind of like, ah, oh, fuck it. And then <laughs> and Cramed is even just like, I will. I'm just going to see my myself out and just yeah, leave this Yeah, fantastic. <laughs> very, very good.
2: Therefore, I say to you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven, except blasphemy against the spirit couldn't Matthew be speaking at me there oh Christ are fucking mighty I'm so glad to fucking see you Andy with with forgiveness in your fucking heart where is this strength coming from now where is this strength coming from that I feel flowing into me that lets me sit up and try to fucking touch you and if only you'll fucking let me fuck me fucking Jesus Christ somebody. can you feel what's fucking moving here it's moving in the room right now if only you'd hold me I believe I could walk con said now maybe when you ask to be told about Jesus Christ you're well arrived would you have dopes cross off your shoulders son I know I'd <clears throat> like to take less? Then fall to your fucking knees. Get to your motherfucking knees, Leon, and ask the Lord to lift your burden partway. Hear me? Lord, don't fuck with the fucking deity, Leon. You got to come to him wholehearted, even when you're asking for partial relief.
0: says so in recovery, obviously, so he's been sort of. Um he can't move around, so he's, he's really just he's resigned himself to just trying to guilt trip people who come to visit him, and mm-hmm. like that's his that's his entire state of being. Although Joni in this one says that he sounds like the devil when he speaks, um, that she sort of recognizes that uh, she's known it for a long time that he's not particularly good for her, but uh, she doesn't have anything else to do, which is leading to her sort of state of being where she's attempting to su- or thinking about committing suicide um,
1: inside. Thinking him. about. Thinking about possibly looking into considering the possibility of maybe committing suicide. Maybe committing suicide.
0: You have to rent the place from Shaughnessy. We don't get any Shaughnessy in this episode, unfortunately. I like that character, but he will be, <laughs> he will return. Um, yes, yeah, so size size on the down and out. Uh, the, the 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 funny the funniness about it is, um, I think it's like it's an episode that obviously pairs a very serious. Issue, which is the power struggle between Hearst and Al, which is like uh, you know sort of comically put up against the elections that are supposed to be happening like there's the there's this song and dance about the things that are supposed to matter in this democracy and this extension of America and things but the real power struggle is being held like literally above the crowd on the rooftops of everything mm-hmm. um, and so I like that but I, I think that it's a super funny silly episode that has a lot I I felt like more jokes than normal um and I just thought that it paired nicely with the serious um you know the storyline in which Al is actually physically beaten for the first time that we've ever seen um he's, he's sort of been bested he's both physically beaten in the sense of getting a hatchet to his hand and also beaten in the sense that he didn't see this coming um and couldn't protect himself from it so uh, but some of the jokes are like, I just have a little list here of like when Dan and Johnny are getting rid of the corpses of the murderers and one of the corpses farts <laughs> at the end of <laughs> at the end of their yes. scene. Uh, Charlie has a line when he sees Hearst in the uh, the restaurants of the hotel. He says two of his men throat cut and he picks the fucking fish, which <laughs> I think is funny. Uh, EB is now officially just kind of a weird Shakespearean clown character yeah, which is fun yeah. i i still th- i think he's very funny but he's he's like living in the walls of the hotel talking to richardson um he has that great thing where he, he gives his his fake speech of like lectures of the camp who should serve as mayor reasonable men might differ but turn out the maniac bullock who beat the mayor with merciless for we should rise <laughs> up and mu- murder bullock it just has a lot of um funny very thing, well funny uh, things.
1: yeah uh, in a very a very um well-structured anti-Semitic speech for why he should stay mayor. Yeah,
0: it was it was like a pro uh, it was like a pro Trump proto Trump thing, but they didn't right. yeah. they didn't predict that no one would actually respond to it, which was interesting. Yeah, yeah. He's uh, he goes. He, I like his um. What does he say, Farnham? Measured twice,
1: twice, star twice once measured. Cut. Star <laughs> once cut. Yes.
3: A clear choice for Deadwood, Farnham. Twice measured, star. Once cut, E. B. Farnham essayed and proven true. Farnham, Christ knows he's earned it.
0: Christ knows I deserve this. <laughs> yeah, and the last, uh, the last subtle Charlie thing was that I, I like this runner about. Um, Charlie runs a freight and mail business and he clearly hates the business. Yes. <laughs> so he's, when, when Bullock walks into him organizing his mail, Charlie just go. he's like sorting through these gigantic piles of mail and packages and he just goes, have people tried keeping their fucking thoughts to themselves? <laughs> 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 so it's, it's an episode that's filled with silly moments like that but also paired nicely with the, uh, the more serious stuff that's going on up above.
1: Yeah, I was I was actually really surprised at the scene where they kill the two guys at the bar. Yeah, because I thought what they were doing, I thought that they had, were running through like a mock situation. No, oh, okay. because they they play it so kind of jokingly, where it's like they've got the two, they've got exactly four people set up the way that it's shown in the drawing, and and they're Al's being very uh, cavalier and kind of jokey about how he's yep, theatrical. responding. Yeah. So and I so I thought what they had done is I thought they had shut the bar down for fifteen minutes, so they could run through possibilities of what this might entail. I I, I was not expecting them to actually be killing two people.
0: Oh, so you didn't you didn't recognize the two guys at the bar from the first? I thought I,
1: what I didn't recognize the first guy, but when the second guy, I recognized. Oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah. They um, uh, they return
0: for that one, but yeah. What did you um? that's the it's one of that that plot line is kind of like one of these deadwood things where i i feel it makes sense and it possibly makes more sense than i understand it to if someone were to like explain it to me but it's one of those things of like the I think we've talked about before, whoever, I think it was uh, McRae, Gerald McRae, the actor who plays Hearst, said that like Milch's writing reminds him of Faulkner and that like in the moment, some things don't seem to make sense, but when you take a look at the whole, it makes sense. Mm -hmm. I kind of feel that way about the, um, the, what Hearst is giving to Al there. Like the, Hearst's attempt to make Al feel, um, solved, salved or whatever the the expression that they use in to to make him feel that he's uh being respected again why he has to offer up his henchmen to him to do that and whether or not that's what Hearst wanted to happen in the long go- like it it feels like it's a it's a long way to go and you lose some of your valuable I guess to Hearst it doesn't really matter but like losing some of your men would seem like it's something that you should be more careful of but I guess maybe that's what Hearst is saying that he doesn't really care I, I guess I'm just wondering what you thought about that whole the back and forth between Al and Hearst in terms of like the sort of arrangement that they come to with each other where they agree to finally meet at the end like whether or not the build
1: up there made any sense or what you thought about it uh I I was not really following it I, uh, wh- I what I what I took away from it was that Al was starting to get paranoid because he wasn't sure exactly what was meant by the letter or anything else. So they were starting to um, dial up his paranoia. Yeah. But yeah, like I couldn't track if why, if, if the two guys were there in the bar, what were, were they there to kill Al
0: Yes, so that seems to be one up, one. So, my understanding is that Hurst did this with the intention that if Al did not see through what was going to happen, Hurst wins in that situation, right? Sure. He he's trying to uh, he's kind of playing a mind game, sussing out his opponent by giving Al the note to see if Al can understand what the note is going to mean to them. Mm-hmm. And so that's my understanding there. And I think that I think Dan and Johnny talk about it later, which is that. Um,
1: I thought it was a football defense.
0: Yeah, it, it does have it does have it does have some John Madden '64 uh, <laughs> graphical component to it. Uh, Dan and Johnny talk later on about like that was you know Hurst showing his ass and that was Swearengen showing his ass, um, but it's. It's just I, I I guess what I guess it is what I was saying before it's, it's that Hurst has the resources to be able to throw away things like this and to see if it's a see if he can either beat Swearingen outright or if not just kind of suss out what kind of opponent he's facing and he doesn't mind mm-hmm. losing some henchmen in the process but they don't get they don't get too specific about it it's more like it 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 happens and it it's kind of a it leads into this larger idea. And I guess I'm curious if you saw this about like Hearst's plan is to ultimately make Al more comfortable than he should be when he goes to visit him at the second part to sort of like give him this false sense of confidence that he's figured this out. And for the audience to be watching the show go like, Oh, Al figured out what the plan was so that Al's like now in in control of the situation. And it turns out to be not the case at all by the end of the episode.
1: I, I wasn't tracking that so much but I like I, I was I was uh, I, I liked the way Al was breaking down the different moves and how he kind of gets to the point where he is he knows what he can and can't do. so like he knows that if he's going to meet Hurst that he can't bring somebody with him because that would be suspicious, but his guy can be there because it makes sense that his guy would be there. Yeah. Like I, I I, I was tracking that stuff, but I, I, I wasn't really getting the sense that Hurst was trying to make him feel like he'd figure – because I never got the sense from Al that he fe- felt like he had f- had the upper hand, you know?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> even, even like I guess that I'm remembering now, it's that Dan and Johnny talk about how like the two at the bar – The two guys who were sitting that Hurst sent were there to make the two guys at the bar feel comfortable enough that they didn't have to pull their weapons immediately. That's what Dan sort of suggests is going on. And that gives Al time to respond to the threat that comes at him and allows the other two to escape. And, you know, he he tells them not to shoot him and he allows them to run back to Hurst. Um, it's, It's not exactly clear. I, I think it's just it's one of those things that I like about the show is that like I, I take it for what it's like larger point kind of means and I feel like you have to do this a lot with the show and this is just kind of the latest example is that like it it, it washes over you but the details themselves are a little bit hazy and mm. you know I think the show is aware of this too because a lot of the times the show the characters on the show are talking to each other about what is going on and no one is particularly sure you know like the Dan and Johnny scene is to to ostensibly uh, help the audience understand, but even the characters who were there for the thing don't really understand what has gone on or why it's happened, and the, the best they can do is guess at it. Right.
3: Now, Hurst sent these two, the two you had to drop on, that didn't draw. Yeah, he sent the two that didn't draw so that these two wouldn't be so quick to the iron. These two that you and Al murdered... Correct. These these two. Now, see that give me and Al time to cut the throats. Now that was Hurst showing Al his ass, and sending this diagram ahead was him signaling Al his intention. Well, it was his preliminary signal that he was going to show his ass. If Al was smart enough to know it, now, otherwise. If Al, if Al didn't know it was coming, he'd have been surprised when, when those two didn't back these two's play. Well, thinking that Al throw his hands up surprise shows that Hurst ain't too smart. <laughs> yeah, he's smart, Johnny. I mean they both him and Al real fucking smart.
1: Right. Yeah, that that, <laughs> that was that was kind of what I really liked about that scene is after it happens no one's really sure exactly what just went on.
0: Yeah, yeah. And they, they they follow Al out the door. Uh, Adam says like ducklings or whatever, which is funny. Um, but yeah, it's it's a larger part of the power play between Hearst and Swearingen at this point. Which is the in the first episode they had implied that there was going to be this power struggle, but now it's more obvious about it. Um, I like the the I like the use of. Uh, Hurst uses a, a little mining hammer basically as a weapon, yeah. where Al uses a knife. It's it's a nice bit of characterization for the two of them, and Hurst is also continuing to blow holes in the hotel. And as he he <laughs> makes a copy of Al's uh, balcony, but he just does it by putting a sledgehammer through the wall and he walks out onto the roof. So,
1: his veranda, you mean?
0: His veranda, yes, that's right. It's writ- It was written in a uh, what does Dan say? It was written in a silly hand or something like that. But it is a veranda. Any thoughts about the and Swearingen thing? It's the backbone of the episode. I don't know if it's exactly what the title is referencing,
1: uh, but did you have any, uh, any thoughts about this one, where this is going? Um, I'm looking forward to the next step for Hurst because I feel like there's been, across the two seasons, three kind of big scenes with him. And they're all kind of a little bit the same to me at mm-hmm. this point, point. Um, and so I'm hoping, I'm hoping that it, it continues to move forward. Because uh, I like him, I like him as a character, but uh, I don't know. I feel I feel like a, a lot of his scenes are, feel a little samey at this point.
0: Yep. Well, uh, I guess what's the what do they do in the scene? He threatens somebody.
1: Yeah, he kind of threatens somebody, and then he's like, "I'm all about goals." And it just has a lot of the same energy, and I'm not—I guess his his single-mindedness is is making it seem a little samey to me. Yeah. Um, but I did I did really like that final scene with with uh, with him and Al. Um, but yeah, I'm curious to see where where he goes next and what they do with him. Yeah. There's only so many people he can chop fingers off of.
0: Yeah, I like Hurst because of his single-mindedness. Really. Yeah.
1: Um. I mean, it's not the single mindedness that I have a problem with. It's yeah. just uh, I don't know. I I, I want to see more from him, as far as like the what they have him do and and the way that they write him, I guess. And because I think it's just his some of his his dialogue scenes are starting to feel kind of similar.
0: Okay, interesting. Yeah, um, I think there was a general sense of the uh, in the Deadwood Bible. There was a sense of some of the writers who had left that they. They thought that um, they thought there were a few too many scenes about Hurst pontificating, which we haven't really got mm-hmm. into. But I, I, in, I, I disagree just because I enjoy his pontificating. I sure. think that he's kind of interesting. Um,
1: I, I don't think it's bad. I just, yeah, I'm just curious is, to see them do something new with him.
0: Right? Where else? Uh, where else the character can can go? I mean, he is. Um, he's. I feel like this season is in, in a lot of ways more theatrical than the prior two seasons. Sure. Uh yeah. I feel that like oh there's a a little bit more like I don't know what you call it. You'd call it like allegory or this like theater aspect where uh, sort of like the rational thing that could be done is not done and it's um it's done it's sort of like I guess the easiest way to describe it is the way that Hearst carries himself, right? In that he like stands up on the roof overlooking the town that he's a threat mm-hmm. to and no one shoots him, you know? Like there's a there's a surreal sure, yeah. unreality to the fact of like how powerfully he is doesn't make sense in a kind of real world context, but it makes sense in in terms of like the narrative that goes around him. I, I find him to be very theatrical in that sense of like sitting in the broken down hotel that he's like smashed all the holes into and like him standing on the roof and no one cares. No one, he doesn't have like an army backing him. You know, he's just a mm-hmm. guy who has this captain Turner person who's one man. So it's like, you'd, you'd think that the town could easily recover from him, but I, the the show is taking a sort of like more uh, metaphorical stance, I guess about like what Hearst represents as opposed to what Hearst is as a person. And I, I I like that a little bit. It's, um, it it allows for like the conversations that the show excels in to be front Mm. and center. And it doesn't rely on like fisticuffs, um, you know, in like the, the beating of Al and Seth and stuff like that. It's a little bit more, uh, I, I guess it's idea driven more than anything else. So you have to, it, that's something I, I'm finding I have to kind of like let go in the third season is that none? It, it's not like a real narrative structure that's based in reality as much as it's just sure. kind of a bunch of ideas coming at each other.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I did think that the one thing that surprised me was that um, I, I feel like traditionally Al wouldn't have let himself be in that situation mm-hmm. uh, because especially if <laughs> – Especially if it's a clear line of sight from uh, the veranda to his balcony, I'm surprised that he didn't tell one of his guys to you know have a gu- have a gun ready just yep. in case that he pulled something. Yeah, you know? yeah. Yep. <clears throat> but yeah, I, I I do. I think um, I think that's all an interesting way to handle this stuff. Uh, uh, because it does it does make things more. I think it makes things more interesting but it also takes a. you do have to kind of um, adjust the way that you're you're taking it in I think yeah, yeah.
2: your bosom must swell with pride Mr. Swearingen right, swellings and saggings to the tit I lay at the exactions of time <laughs> I mean you worked to bring this evening about labor without pleasure makes us our destinies slaves to work for crumbs or to keep from a lash says maybe your slave's what you are
0: and they they do a, not that there's um, not a internal plot logic to why things can't happen like bullet sure. can't arrest Hurst at the end right because that's not the for for once Seth actually listens to Al and doesn't do the bad idea which could, would be to go up and arrest Hurst for what he'd seen,
1: um arrest if he's lucky
0: right yes
1: yeah it's, it's you know, I, he I, might have just gone in there and fucking killed him
0: <laughs> so so bullet can't do anything. Directly to him, and so they do have a little bit of like narrative logic as to why that would be the case. But it's still, you know, the scene ends with Bullock just walking through the thoroughfare as Hurst is standing with his hands in his pockets, looking down on the town. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really what I like about Hurst is that Hurst is uh, Hurst is not a real person. Hurst is like an empty empty concept of a person. Sure. Milch describes him as he's so into the abstraction of gold and and wealth that he has no longer he no longer sees anything as valuable because he's so much into the sort of like this rock means something to me that he doesn't think anything of killing people at that point because he's given himself over to this abstraction
1: about what wealth is and what power is. It uh, does it does surprise me a little bit though that the <laughs> That they aren't just like, how about we just fucking kill this guy? Like, you know, like what's uh, in in the in the world of the show? I feel like uh, the the town conspiring to kill Hurst is not above, uh, is not beyond the uh, uh, the pale. You know? Yeah. Um, I I guess you have to assume that Hurst has. I mean,
0: if you're you're looking for the reality of it, is that like. Hurst knows and has it set up that if Hurst is taken out of the situation or something bad happens to him, then it'll just be like hellfire and brimstone for the town. Yeah, you know, I don't think anyone has voiced that, but that's my
1: interpretation of it. Yeah, it's one of those things where it's like, I, I'm I'm a little surprised that they haven't had someone just suggest it so they could get it out of the way. Yeah, and and instead of like having it be something, it's like, well, why? I mean. Clearly, this guy is a threat to everybody. Um, <clears throat> it's not like he—it's not like he himself is bringing anything specific of value to the town. You know, it's not like if they kill him, they cut off a a, a big supply of like goods or money or something. You know, right? He's not—he's um, not
0: backing the town in any sense. Right? Of bringing anything in?
1: Yeah, and I mean, you know, I feel like Seth Bullock would not be above uh turning the other way for a minute to get rid of this fucking guy yeah but um yeah. Yeah. but it's i'm a little surprised that they haven't had someone like johnny or something bring it up and have al slap it down yeah um but i also understand that the in in the way that they are presenting him they are presenting him as this overwhelming looming force that that can't be just defeated easily
0: yeah Yeah, I I think that's the way you have to interpret it is is that. It's just that he, you know, in the metaphor of the town, he represents the change that is potentially coming. He represents sort of large capital um, who could come in and um, simply buy up or make things difficult or be the backbone of, like, corruption that everyone is scared about. Um, You know, Alma Alma in her uh, sort of meeting with Bullock in this one talks about the fact that... uh, her her ex-husband's family might use Hearst's money as a way to come after her claim and Sophia's right. claim. Yeah. And so I, I think that he... They don't care about Hearst the person, but it's just the idea that there is larger forces out there looming that are ready to take everything that the camp has built to this point. And, you know, Al is... It's, it's the most overt Al has actually gotten with his sort of, like, good guy split in it. And it's that, like, he... Um, he has some lines with Hearst up when he's up on the veranda watching the speeches about um that are fairly, you know, unsubtle. It's just like purposes butt up against each other with the strong call of consolidation. I call bending the weak to their will. Um so Al has his most like righteousness angle with Hearst, too. He mm-hmm. he sort of comes out of nowhere with this idea that like it 'cause it's not even grounded in a sense of self-preservation. Al Al seems much more interested in the town at this point and it's not even about just like losing the gem or anything it's not a a selfish desire to, to take one over on Hearst he had that conversation with Bullock in the last episode about like this cocksucker thinks he can take everything and it's not not that he says it's not fair but it's it's out of proportion is what Al calls it so um Al has his most he's at his most righteous I think in these moments because it doesn't come across as um duplicitous to me what Al's saying
1: no, yeah, and I think I think that's that's the interesting most interesting change for him over the season so far is that he has his drive is is clearly the the town moving forward over anything else. Yeah. Um obviously he's still in it for personal reasons, but I feel like even his personal reasons are are backed by the idea of the town progressing. Yep. So,
0: yeah. What do you think of um
1: think of the the elections that are are being prepared for here uh the one thing that i didn't like about the episode i didn't like cutting back and forth from the the speeches to al and um hearst oh really yeah i i did i didn't think i couldn't figure out why they were doing it like because it wasn't i didn't feel like it was building any tension really yep um because, like, the the tension of the – I felt like the speeches being so weird and kind of uh, disjointed and jagged kind of undercut the tension that they were building with with Al and, and Hearst. Yep. And so I'm I'm, I'm kind of curious as why they decided to do that because, like, I, I would have much preferred that they do the speeches in a minute and a half and then give you just the whole scene with, with Al and, and Hearst, but, yep. you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I liked I liked the speeches. I I uh, I, <laughs> I really liked I really liked the guy from uh the was it the number ten whatever his name is.
0: uh Yeah, who's running for sheriff Harry? Yes, I, think his I really Harry. liked
1: I really liked that guy's speech. I liked I liked Seth's speech, which just yes. was <laughs> <had> <laughs> vote nothing for, to do with vote anything. For Saul. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But <laughs> I liked uh, the other guy's speech, Harry's speech as well, because he was like, well, you know, I you know, I think we. I think we should have a fire brigade, and I'd, I'd like to do it because I've, I've always <laughs> yeah. liked fires. I, I really like that. I thought that was very funny.
0: Yeah, I think it's a. I mean, I think the reason that they intercut them is that there is a um, one of the. I think Steppenwolf's review calls Deadwood a show of extremes, and I think that um, I think that's accurate. the The way that I interpret this is that there is a kind of love from the writers and production staff about like the way that civilization moves into a community. Basically like the, I think Milch has a real respect for like uh, the community and like the culture and the, like the society that is created in places. Mm -hmm. But he's pretty critical of the, he's kind of David Simon asking that he's critical of like the institutions that form around the core of what the, communal spirit is in some ways like so he you know because swearingen and Merrick in this one have a scene where it's really just al saying that like the press is corrupt and it's like you don't need to know any like you're selfishly wanting to know information to tell each other and you you think you're serving this higher purpose of being like the fourth estate when you're really just a guy with a printing press you know and i think that the elections serve the same thing is like elections are very important in like a cornerstone of our democratic society, but the elections here are like comically bad, you know. Mm-hmm. While the the real power brokers, are what I said earlier, which is that it's the conversation between Alan Hurst is what the real conversation is being held, and the elections down below are just like they have to stop asking the crowd to ask to, to stop asking about people shitting in the river. You know, it's like there's <laughs> a there's no the the disconnect of seriousness is intentional I think which is that like we're all playing games down below while the real things are being decided mm-hmm. in the back room and I, that's yeah. the way that I view it anyway
2: these last months have made me expert it was gunfire and it came from your saloon has not the press of duty merit qualifying its accounts in time of war are we at war now here in the camp has that fact been suppressed as well absent formal declaration now. Information which affects this community is not my prerogative to disseminate. To do so is my sacred responsibility. Whores currently disseminating a dose, for example.
1: To inform within decency's limits. We've had this discussion
2: before. Citizens better die postulating than touch indecent ink. Make a list of the infected whores, an account for this morning's gunfire, and I'll publish it all. I won't, fucking Merrick. Because neither's to my fucking interest. Just as you owning a print press proves only you've an interest in the truth, meaning up to a fucking point. Slightly more than us others may be, but short of a fucking anointing or the children of a sacred burden. Unless, of course, the print press was gift of an angel, I'd want to be there for that handoff myself. Maybe you should print an extra saying the speeches are on again. Tonight. What time do you think would be best?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I, I think you're right. It, it was just—it was a surprising. Uh, I, I think I, I think it, it took me off guard because when they do that on the show, I feel like they tend to do it as a way to ha- have a tension-building thing. You know, whether it's uh, uh, the killing of Wild Bill or, or the 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 bike. Yeah, the wedding parade the, the West, or the wedding. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, they they t- they tend to do it in a way that that's very tension building, and so I was kind of surprised. Like I was, I was primed for that, and to to get this thing that felt like it just kept killing the tension. Yep, um, was surprising. But I, I think you're right. I think that that is exactly why they're doing it because it is the elections they're having outside are are stupid and silly, and the the real. The people who are making the real decisions are are Al and, and Hearst.
0: Do you so I guess I have two questions for you? Did you see the Hearst attack coming? And the like the, the ending <clears throat> attack. And if you well, I, I guess that's the first question. So did, did did you did you see that coming? Did you think that Al was in danger going into that sequence? And I guess I guess I'll go off that. So, like, did you did you see what was coming uh, towards the end, and did you think that like the 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 you said that the cutting didn't help you, but I find that ending scene very tense. Although I knew mm-hmm. what was coming, and the the cutting back and forth almost makes me a little bit more nervous because you are waiting for the moment to happen with Al. Um, mm-hmm. But did you did you see the sort of double cross coming, if you want to call it a double cross?
1: Uh, I guess not. Um, because the Sapinwall review is pretty strong
0: on the fact of, like, let me see if I can find it. Um, well, this is an episode that gets a lot of laughs out of Al's goons trying to figure out what the note means and why Hearst would send it and from the general chaos caused by the event, like Charlie's reaction to seeing the gem carnage. But it's also setting us up to be sucker-punched in the same way Al is in the final scene. Because we're so used to Al being so much smarter than both his underlings and his enemies, we're reassured that he deciphers the implications of the note, that he knows, for instance, to only kill Ball Blackthorn and his partner and not the other two gunmen. And because he seems so confident in going alone to watch the speeches from Hearst Veranda, the, the, the idea that it's a setup seems completely improbable to the viewer.
1: Yeah, I don't think i I don't think I thought it was improbable yep um but i I, I definitely was not expecting him to get his fingers cut off yep <laughs> um, <coughs> yeah. but like when when what's his name pulled a gun on him i that didn't surprise me at all
0: well, yeah when Turner
1: pulls the gun on him yeah him, yeah yeah I, I was I guess I was I was more surprised by what exactly happens at the end but i, I wasn't surprised that that uh that Turner had pulled a gun on him gotcha yeah. i was I was more surprised that al didn't have a contingency in place.
0: Right. Yes. Which I, I uh. guess is the second point, right? That he's gone in yeah. thinking that he has control of the situation. As you say, the most they talk about is whether or not Dan can go with him, And they decide that Dan can't go
1: with him because it wouldn't be uh, reasonable if, for him to bring him. I, I think he didn't explore all of his options. Cause it, <laughs> as I was watching it, I was like, Al just drop to the ground and roll off the top of the <laughs> thing. You'll be fine. <laughs> Hurst,
0: Hurst says something about that. He thinks he thinks he asks him, Do you think you're adept enough to escape the situation or something? But yeah, I was I was thinking just dive off there into the crowd and start to, uh, start moshing your way back to the to the gem.
2: Accepting your premise, Mr. Swearingen, I'll not name how you would benefit from the action I wish you to take, saying only instead, it's my will, to which I will have you bend. I suggest you drink that. No. I would incorporate into my holdings the claim now owned by Mrs. Ellsworth. I am told that you can help me bring this about. Tell me how you will help. This is a grip I'm used to. As far as making your way into her, Act averse to nasty language and partial to fruity tea.
1: I did uh, um, Steppenwell mentioned the actor in, in that thing you read, but uh, I, I couldn't place I knew one of the guys who got murdered uh, but I couldn't place it, his face but I, I looked him up. It's Paul Blackthorne. He was he was uh, um, the the ma- he was one of the main characters on Arrow, oh, okay. the Green Arrow show yep. for for like six or seven years or whatever. Um, he I it was just one of those faces where I'm like I know this guy, but I don't know what I know him from.
0: No, oh, interesting. I thought that was the uh, I thought Paul Blackthorne was the character's name, but I guess nope, the, the that's, the, actor, that's yeah. the actor's name. Yeah. Um, so I mean, I guess we have talked about the the Hurst sequence enough. Um, I, I like Al's recovery there. I like um, it gives Sai an opportunity to be a real cy Tolliver thing, where he's like he has a line about that man looks like he's hurt, uh, something mm-hmm. like that, looking down on him, not being particularly helpful as he's in his own world. Uh, the first man to touch me dies. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that was good. <laughs> Help, and just Bullock is not being allowed to go up and deal with the Hurst situation.
1: You know, it does it does uh, um, bring Al and Sai. Cy- back to their mirror counterpoints or counterparts though because they were both uh, gravely injured by someone yeah. who they let their guard down around
0: yeah yeah there you go yep yeah. do you um I mean one of the reasons I also like Hearst is that Hearst is the first in a couple seasons of this show that he feels like he's an actual threat and match for al in this case um, mm-hmm. prior to that I always thought that you know al could kind of outsmart Cy, Um and there was not a the the show literally had to give him like kidney stones to bedrid him so that he couldn't right, solve right. the the mystery of the second season with the Shaggy crew or whatever. Um, but yeah, I mean i i I do feel that it's nice to have an equal, both physical and intellectual threat um, against Al, which is which is necessary at a certain point in the show. Uh, the other cool thing that happens is that we get uh we talked about reversions or like um characters going back to earlier selves uh in the first episode of this season. Mm-hmm. Alma is an interesting case here. Alma does what she does yeah. before, which is to go back into these kind of bratty rich girl thing and say that I want this and I'm gonna have it no matter what happens.
1: Yeah, I was uh So I, I was trying to make sure I was tracking what was what was going on correctly. Yep. Um Ellsworth gets is surprised and/or put off by the fact that she names Bullock as Sophia's guardian if she if Alma happens to die. Yes, and that he would also be in charge of the the, the gold claim. Yep. Okay.
0: Yeah. Right. So Ellsworth is obviously upset by that, even though their wedding is kind of a sham wedding that's being done for financial reasons. Um, but it's like he, he, Ellsworth is obviously hurt by what Alma does, which is the point of that scene, which is that it's another mm-hmm. one of like it, I think it was the second season when Alma tells Trixie like to leave or whatever, and Trixie's like, You dumb cunt, I can't leave, that kind of is that kind of a thing. <laughs> so Alma is doing what she wants to do for herself, which is this selfish knee or the selfish belief that like she still can kind of almost be with Seth. In this way, if, if yeah. she dies, she gets to pass off the responsibilities that she has to Seth. And it's very upsetting to Ellsworth, as you would expect. And it's kind of yeah. um, befuddling to Bullock, who has to go and do this and talk to people. And it's also uh, this rewatch is just showing me like the tragedy of Martha Bullock, who is probably the nicest person in the fucking town who gets right. constantly yeah. embarrassed by Alma Garrett and Seth Bullock and everyone else involved in their story.
1: Well, you know, it's it's equally as, as rough here because clearly they're showing you that Seth and um, Martha are warming up to each other. Yeah, they're touching being, each other, yeah. Yeah, and getting kind of flirty and stuff. Yep. Um, and so then to, to, at that point, have Alma essentially throw a rope around Seth is, is very... Man, so Alma is... is She's a great character but man she sucks. Yeah, she does. like she like that they the the way in which she sucks is so well constructed uh and well conceived making her this you know person who puts on these airs of of respectability but but is basically just a selfish person it's i I think it's i think she's a great character
0: yeah and i i think that the show does a great job of balancing her selfishness against the restrictions of her era right which is that she's never actually been allowed to do what she wants to do like sure so the, the gold mine is the first like she she got married to brahm as a business arrangement to clear her father's debts which she didn't want she comes out here to deadwood she doesn't want to do that she gets the mine which is her first sort of sense of like i have agency and control over myself but mm-hmm. then she loses Bullock because Bullock is already uh betrothed to Martha uh, and so she loses that, but it's a her her selfishness is you know gross in how harmful it is to someone like Ellsworth who's only been positive to her, but it's also kind of like understandable in that it's a woman who thinks she might die trying to take oh, the sure. last moment of control over her life, even though it's yeah. harmful to everybody else in the room
1: well yeah, I mean that's the that's the other the other side of the equation right because she's She's been married out of convenience twice, right you know And, she, and right when she thought she had what she wanted, uh, which was Seth, that blew up, and then she ended up pregnant had to get married for a uh, convenience again. And so she's asserting her agency in that moment. because like, the the only reason that she did this is because she was having a baby. Yes. and okay. if if the baby was off the table literally and figuratively yes yeah. uh and 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 she was off the table as well um then there's no reason that she can't just re- reclaim the agency that she had before right except for the fact and the thing is that she she doesn't care that that reclaiming that agency causes harm to the people around her right yeah so it's a weird it's a weird catch 22 kind of situation for her where it is admirable that she is being so independent given the time period but it is also uh, uh very um despicable is not the word but just it's it's just it's very uh like hurtful, unfortunate or, yeah, unfortunate hurtful unfortunate yeah. That, yeah. It, that it has to hurt so many people to do it yeah. and that she doesn't yeah. care like i mean that's the, that's the thing that's interesting too it's like she is more interested in or i should say the having that agency is more important to her than than whether or not she hurts somebody right
0: yeah yeah because she i mean i because obviously she sees the relationship as different than ellsworth ellsworth feels like he's kind of bought into this family unit because he he fathers sophia quite a bit like they've made a point of showing that he's hanging out with sophia a lot um and he seems to have a um a connection. I, I that, uh, that initial dialogue where Alma is kind of like stating her last will and testament to Trixie and Ellsworth. I really like that dialogue. It's, you know, it's bound in the, the double speak, uh, the double meaning of like, um, it was property before our nuptials is what they keep talking about. And he's like, I mm-hmm. fucking know what it is. Um, <laughs> I, I, like the, I like the wordplay, uh, that they do with that scene. Um, yeah. And, uh, Although Martha's, Mar- Martha's an interesting character because she's pretty low-key. And I, this rewatch where I'm sort of critically watching it, she is um, she is doing a lot without actually doing anything, mm. which is a really tough actor spot to be in because I think if you're not paying attention, Martha can kind of come across as a character who's just kind of there and is preventing Seth and Alma from being together, right, and isn't doing much outside of
1: that. Oh, sure, yeah. But she's... Um, That's the uh, the Breaking Bad and a gun effect.
0: Yeah, I guess I guess they are kind of similar in that way. Uh, uh, Breaking Bad is even less um, subtle in what she's going through, I suppose. But Deadwood is... Um, so if, if people aren't picking up what's going on in Breaking Bad, I guess it's obviously more missable here, as I was kind of missing right, it right. the first time as what was going on. But it's like she's... You know, she has that night scene where she invites Jane to speak to the kids. And when Jane leaves, she says mm-hmm. that Sophia and Martha are both very brave women and it just ties into that. Like, it's an interesting. She's an interesting foil to Alma because Martha is also not given what she wants, but she makes the best of
1: her situation right. each time. Right. And she's and she's pretty selfless about it. Right. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like I like her a lot. Um, and I, like, I, it's funny. You said she looks like she's the one preventing them from being together. And I'm like, I don't want them to be together. Right. Yeah. It would be I, don't, I don't, I don't want, <laughs> I, I want Seth couple. to take care of his fucking family. That's right. what I want him to do. <laughs> I don't want him leaving them or leaving her to go run off with Alma.
0: It's like swearing at the end of the last season. Where he's like, take a right. And then he walks yeah, off. Yeah, exactly. Goes out. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's, um, that's it. So I, I just, I think I'm picking up on, uh, martha's uh thing more this this watch i think she's she's a good character who i I like the flirty scene with the tea i think the dialogue and Mm. the performances between those two are great He's like i like my tea quite strong
1: that was (laughs) that was some real like real relationship (laughs) british romance novel writing where it's like the conversation is about the strength of the tea but the subtext is like, uh, you know, the boiling turn of, kettle, turn of the screw level, <laughs> repressed sexuality. I like the, uh, the true to form thing of just like,
0: it just struck me as a, a sort of conversation where there's like, I feel like it's a no win situation for you as someone who makes the tea for you. If you go like, this is too weak, they'll be like, well, do you have to be such a dick? I made you the tea. Right. But, <laughs> but if you don't say it outright, they're like, you could just tell me that the tea is too weak and I'll go make another pot. It's like, well, I, I don't feel like I can win.
1: Right, yeah. Yeah. The never ending struggle of of tea strikes. How, <laughs> how to how to tell someone you don't like what they're doing. That's what I'm <laughs> and it's not even that like that's the thing, right? He's not saying that he 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 thinks what she's doing is bad. No, he's just it's just that trying to be tactful. You know, trying, yeah. Trying to bring it up in the But in did the, he the, ever yeah. ask her what level she likes the tea to be? I don't think so. No. Maybe she made it the way she likes it.
0: Probably she doesn't like that fruity tea. That's what that's what Alma likes. Don't talk to him about fruity tea. Um, anyone else? I, I, Richardson and Farnham are very funny. I, I like the, mm-hmm. the, the all the Farnham scenes are funny. We talked about the first one where he's, uh, he asks if he was woman born or egg hatched or whatever. Um, <laughs> yeah, that was right really <laughs> And then the second one is also very <laughs> funny, where Richardson's looking out the peephole. And he says, "Uh oh!" And Farnham's like, "Why? Uh oh! Tell right. me
1: what? Uh oh!" <laughs>
0: very funny scenes between those two
1: yeah those two guys are uh, they <clears throat> i i kind of feel like pairing them together is a great move but it's also a terrible move because it it, it allows them to relegate him to this sort of like you're saying like shakespearean like rosencrantz and gildenstern type role yeah
0: he's like a character who's commenting on and like spying on the situation right. as opposed which, to being part of it
1: which i like but i think i liked him more when he was actively involved yeah they took the hotel away from him is the problem yeah yeah but i but at the same time like i do like the idea that he's now this like ghost yes right yeah that just (laughs) and like you said he's living in the walls of the hotel because it's the you know it's the only thing that he that he really had going for him. right yeah um but i i did i did i do like it more when he's actively involved and not just kind of viewing things from the sidelines.
0: Yeah, I, I would, I would largely agree. I it's, it's the, the, difficulty with it is that the Richardson and Farnham scenes are like just gold with each other. They're just, yeah, so, they're so yeah. funny to each other. Um, but it's hard to say it was a misstep as much as it, um it does. And, and it's what you're saying. Like the symbolism of it is good. I think like I like this of what Farnham has become uh, ever since he sold the hotel. But it is you're no longer having funny scenes with Farnham talking to Swearengen or just going over and get, like talking to different
1: people. He's really just relegated to talk to one person. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was uh, <clears throat> I think one of the, the the things that I'm I don't know if disappointed is the word because there's so much going on in the show. But I, I, I feel like there could have been a lot to do if they actually did show Farnham doing mayor stuff, mm-hmm. which they never did. Like it was That's just true. obviously yep. just a title. Yes. Um, but which, if, he, which he plays up as his, his characterization. Right. Yeah. But, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know how the elections shake out, but if he wins re-election, I think there's plenty of stuff they could mine where it's like, okay, you're the mayor of a real town now. Like this right. is really, you got to learn how to do this. Yeah. Yeah. I think the real history is that Farnham was the
0: mayor. Of Deadwood. Oh, really? I think so. Yeah, I obviously don't know how much he's based on what the actual person was like. I assume not much at all. But um, uh, I just I have to bring up Doc and Trixie yelling at each other again because it's so Mm -hmm. fucking funny. I'll probably put the clip in twice. I would assume.
1: Um, I was very confused when they when they were setting up the room with the the mirrors mirrors, and stuff to get the the lights. What what the hell she was (laughs) going on?
0: yeah, to get the lights because they're they're going to be out of sunlight uh, relatively quickly. And I think that this one ends. Um, you know, it's what I love about the show. It's this vignettiness of. I think there's some great ending scenes between the characters. I love Charlie and Joni talking to each other about how Joni is like Wild Bill and that uh, mm, she doesn't yeah, see like she that. doesn't see what while Joni and Wild Bill see themselves as less than what everyone else seems to think that they are, yeah. and that, that no one else gets to see it. Uh, Charlie he has Charlie has a a lot of great scenes. If you were to like do like a morality um, power rankings or something like Martha Bullock is fairly high on it. Charlie Utter is fairly high, and I think Cochran mm-hmm. is fairly high up on that. But they because uh, Utter has the scene where he talks to Bullock too and convinces him to sort of like that uh, the goodness of Martha and to abandon whatever uh, whatever dreams or desires he has with Alma, which is not going to work out for him. But
1: I, uh, I I found it interesting because you know they, they, uh, <clears throat> they tell you when you, when you're writing a scene, every scene should be important and there should be a clear change in I don't know, you know if it starts high, you end low, that kind mm-hmm. of thing or something if, has uh, to happen. Um, yeah, something has to happen something move the plot along. And I was very tickled at the breakfast scene with Hurst and Seth and oh, Charlie, Charlie. Yeah. <laughs> because it la- like it's they sit down. And it looks like it's going to be some sort of like dialogue discussion scene with Seth and Charlie. And then about 30 seconds later, Ellsworth comes in. He's like, Alma needs to see you. My, w- my wife needs to see you. Yep. And then Seth just leaves. And then it's just Charlie and Hurst looking at each other from across the room. And, and he's Hurst being like, it's, it's hot. Yeah, he says it's hot. <laughs> <laughs> and that was the whole scene.
2: <laughs> to his man's throat cut,
0: he picks the fucking fish.
3: What do you think the men were his? My wife would like to see you.
1: Kind of warm. I yeah. liked it. I mean, I the, it's worth it for the line about eating the fish. The fish but, uh, <laughs> but like there was nothing else in there that was um, important.
0: No, it feels like a um, it feels like a filler connector scene that they wrote on the spot to like accommodate the scenes of like where characters needed yeah. to move to and stuff like that because it didn't really yeah. have a, a purpose. The, the major purpose I see of it outside of just getting the plot pieces in a line is to show that um, – Hurst is indifferent to sacrificing his henchmen there because that—that's the—that's the point of Charlie's line is that he can have his guys killed and he just decides yeah. to eat at the restaurant after that. Um, your favorite character Rutherford, who is the Ted Man <laughs> character, oh, is yeah. One? yeah. <laughs> he has a funny line <laughs> where the guy accuses him that he was the kind of man who grew up like setting kittens on fire and tying mm-hmm. uh, cans to dogs' tails, and he says overturning turtles was my specialty. <laughs> mm-hmm. And who didn't overturn turtles as a kid? It's just too funny. I don't
1: think I ever
0: Never I think found I've ever a turtle. Encountered a, tu- a turtle. Oh, well, you're in the wrong place, wrong place, wrong time. But Rutherford continues to be a very funny, a very funny character. And for some you have reason,
1: horseshoe crabs, where you grew up? Uh, no, no. Those were the weirdest things I think that I ever that I would encounter in in the wild right. around me because yeah. we lived right off of a marsh. And you would just be like walking through the marsh, and there'd be these like—I don't know if I ever in, encountered a live one. Okay, but they're like they skeletons; yeah, their sure. exoskeletons were all over the place. Mm-hmm. And in retrospect, I don't know why I didn't find it weirder because they're fucking weird looking. <laughs> they're, they're they're ancient, like yeah. There's like these—they they look like horseshoes. Yes. Uh, like the actual feet of a horse. Yes. Not that, just the, the shoe part. And then they got this like long spiky tail that comes out of the back of it. I don't know what they do. I don't know what they're for. And they have blue blood, right? I don't know blood, what purpose right? they serve. Uh, do they? Yeah, I think that's, that's even weirder. I think
0: that's the the famous, one of the famous facts about them. They have blue blood.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Spoo. Just everywhere.
0: They're just, they're just everywhere. They wash up on the beaches every once in a while with a jellyfish stuck to its tail or something like that. Yeah. Um, and then I just have the, my final joke, Len, that you had referenced earlier, the side scene. He uh, Tolliver says, get on your motherfucking knees, Leon.
1: <laughs> so good. Like that that scene, I thought that scene was so perfectly balanced between being funny and being tense and being scary. Yeah, because you, th- you think it's real at
0: first, right? With the, the performance. So that's the way I yeah. always take it, yeah.
1: Yeah, it, I mean, like, you know, I I know I've seen Cy get like that before when there's a gun involved and right. it ended with Kristen Stewart getting a bullet in the head yep. and so like seeing him going crazy whipping out this gun but he's like proselytizing and so I don't know what he's going to do I kept expecting him to just like you know uh, focus up and shoot him like I, I it was it was a very tense scene and then with Leon comes in and fucks it up <laughs> <laughs> and then the next guy comes in and fucks it up. I just thought it was great. It, like it was because it, it's it it showed it it showed that size thing is so much like an act. Yeah, very very you know, performative. Like, yeah. Very performative. And so when when he just when his rhythm gets screwed up, he's just like ah. ah, ah, ah. <laughs> Powers Booth gives a great. Facial
0: reaction to when Leon comes in. Too, he's so like disappointed that he's coming at the wrong time. And Leon just comes in and says, "Like I, I was told that this is when you wanted me to come in, Mister Tolivar, or whatever he says." But exposes wow. his hand.
1: Horseshoe crab blood is blue. Yep, and they use it for medicine.
0: Yeah, there's something special. Do you, does it say what's special about it? There's something unique about it. Is it like typo blood or something like when you use it in transfusions or something like that? Uh, Is it very similar to human blood? Maybe that's what I'm putting. That's what I'm trying to say. What are we looking for here? Medicine. Um, and outside of that, I don't think I have anything else about this one. Labor without pleasure makes us our destiny's slaves to work for crumbs or to keep the lash. Says maybe a slave's what you are.
1: It's uh, it their 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 blood can be manufactured into limulus ambiocyte, lysate. That is used to detect pathogens oh. and indispensable medicines such as injectable antibiotics.
0: Okay, so they're like a testing solution, basically.
1: Interesting. That's crazy. What a weird fucking animal. The blue bloods. The uh, richest, the richest animal uh, in the sea.
0: That's what they are. So that was. The, I am not the fine man you take me for. Did you have any other thoughts about this one, Clay? Or any scenes that we uh, we missed? You get to see. Uh, jane cannery's bosoms in this episode for the first time i believe which is a, a memorable thing Mo, i like Moe's and her uh having conversations they're very funny at this point yeah
1: yeah i'm i i really like she's a great she's a great character because like i i don't even like really need a storyline from her yes i think she's good enough and and the situations that they put her in are interesting enough uh for her personally and her whole attitude towards like just like existing, yeah. yeah. That, um, you know, if they don't ever do anything that really moves her forward, I, it won't bother me that much because yeah. I, I I find her so fun. Yeah,
0: her her arc at this point is all personal development of just trying to trying to find her way uh, through this life. So that's it. I am not the fine man you take me for. It Was the second episode of this third season of Deadwood? Things are chugging along. Thank you very much for listening. If you guys enjoyed the content today, patreon.com slash the Penske file is the best way to support the show. Let us know what you're thinking about Deadwood by joining our Discord. There's all these links down in the podcast blurbs down below. Clay, do you have anything you want to say?
1: I'm I'm entranced by this video of how they extract horseshoe crab blood. It's very strange. <laughs> uh, it's very very sci-fi looking. Mm. Um, check out uh, Rotten Horror Picture Show on Patreon. We're doing video nasties this year. Um, we are, uh, we just finished Bay of Blood and we're going to do Toby Hooper's The Fun House. On our regular show, we, uh, we either are about to or have just, depending when this comes out, done, um, Sleepaway Camp, which I'm excited about because, uh, Amanda has never seen Sleepaway Camp. Yeah. And as far as I can tell, have you ever seen Sleepaway Camp? That's the notoriously bad... One with the it's,
0: campers, right? That has like the yeah, the it's got line.
1: A, yeah, and it's got a very, very famous ending.
0: Yes, that, uh, it's very much like another famous movie that has an ending like that. Yes, 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 yes.
1: And as far as I know, she has no idea about anything in this movie, so okay. I'm I'm very excited for her to watch it. Yeah, that's. <laughs> what? What? Sorry, I blanked out. What? What part is this? Is this is a video nasty. This is uh this is for the regular show. It's it's the wild my wild my wild card pick. Oh okay, I was like, how the
0: hell did that make the top two? Okay, your wild card pick makes a little bit more sense. There you
1: go. Yeah, yeah, just because I figured we've been doing we've we had done Friday the Thirteenth on Patreon, then we had just done Bay of Blood, which is another like sort of on the water movie and we had done the burning, which is a campground movie. So all the, all the Patreon people are getting the the summer camp movies. So I figured we'll do one, do a famous one for a, uh, for a wild card in the main feed. Good. Sounds good. Um, then I think, uh, I'm going to put my finger on the scale and I think we're going to do the exorcist after that just because, uh, <laughs> uh William, out well, no, cause, uh, the director just passed away. So uh, yeah. an excuse to,
0: to talk right. about it. That's really dead. Um, Oh, God. Damn. See, if I had a better mind, the Rutherford has a great line about scales to justice. Why is justice blind? Because you can't see how you're tipping the scales or something. He has some line like that. Oh, I wish I had a better memory for these things. <laughs> That's it. Thanks, everybody, for listening to the show. Thank you for listening to our coverage of I'm Not the Fine Man You Take Me For. I forget what the next episode is called, and I don't have the book in front of me, so I can't figure it out. But I will let you know We'll be here next week with that episode. So, see ya.
3: Could you have been born, Richardson, and not egg hatched as I've always assumed? Did your mother hover over you, snaggle toothed and doting as you now hover over me?
2: I loved my mother.
3: Puberty may bring you to understand. What we take for mother-love is really murderous hatred and a desire for revenge.
2: Will you give your speech to be mayor tonight?
3: Whatever night I give it, count on me not to mince words. Electors of the Kent, as to who should serve as mayor, reasonable men may differ, but as to who should be sheriff, we all ought to speak with one voice. And our words should be, turn out the maniac Bullock, who set upon the mayor unprovoked, who beat him with merciless protraction. Bullock should be murdered. We should rise up and murder Bullock. Thank you very much.
2: My father didn't like me.
3: I'd like to use your ointment to suffocate you.